Hey, murder lovers. My name's Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. We also have Navy in the house today. Navy. Navy. Oh my God, he's so cute, you guys. He's sleeping. And he'll stay asleep now for several hours. <laughs> Which is how long it'll take us to get through Scott Peterson. God. <laughs> I have regrets. I would like to <laughs> issue a fo- formal apology to all of you that we have to do this. Uh, not only that, but the delay in recording. We, we let you guys know on the Instagram that we had a bit of a snafu when it came to organization on the first time that we tried recording this. So we were going to take a break and do it again. But then I had a power outage at my house that lasted five days. Yeah. <laughs> so... That was fun, and all the equipment's here at my house, so we could not record, but here we are. Here we are. And I'm, like, truly over this case now, and we're just now sitting down to do it. I think that's going to help us, though, because we've had time to think about it, and I think we're just going to not run through it, but Mm -hmm. be, I think, more, um, think more about what we want to bring up and how deep we yeah. want to go into things you know what I mean yeah it's kind of nice because then we can kind of um like at this point I've let go of personal feelings and so <laughs> but I noticed Bailey Sarian who has she does murder mystery makeup Mondays she just covered this story oh did she yeah so I listened to it today just to see if there was like anything that I had missed and I think we have it all covered yeah I think what it comes down to is how you interpret the different information and what that means right and I guess that's the part what stirred all this up to begin with with me but now I'm just kind of like I'm ready to be done with it yeah done with it bury it there's a lot of information and I think a lot of podcasts a lot of YouTube people do a good job of covering the basics hopefully we'll go a little deep into that so then people can be like oh you want to listen to a good podcast on Peterson go listen to Stranger Danger but There is a lot of information. So if we miss something, if we don't dive deep enough into something, let us know if you want to talk about it more. But there's a lot of information to go over. Personally, I think I dove too deep on this one. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Because I was overanalyzing everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's... uh, I think think what it does is it clouds your judgment because then you start to... Well, you start, this is true, you start this to see to guilt yep. everywhere. Exactly. So, like, one of the things that we'll talk about is him doing a load of laundry. And you interpreted that differently than I interpreted it yep. because of the lens that we're seeing the story exactly. through. You're like, well, this Just this personal proves, experiences. Yeah. And, and that's what is important when it comes down to choosing a jury, I think, too, that both the prosecution and, and the defense have a job in interviewing the jury mm-hmm. and who they're going to have on. And, you know, that's kind of what they're trying to get to too is what type of person are you how are you going to interpret certain information how are your life experiences going to you know weigh in when making a decision or you know so we'll we'll get into all that but it also does speak to to like why it is not a great idea to try a case based on circumstantial evidence because people interpret evidence yes. so differently. Again, that's up for interpretation. It's not fact. Right. Unless, so. yeah, unless it's a smoking gun or a confession, I don't think we'll ever know 100% one way or another what happened. Yeah. So all we're left is the these pieces of this puzzle that 
we don't even know if they complete a puzzle yet, but we just know that they're pieces that they're somewhat related and we're going to, we'll, we'll have these friendly debates of whether or not something is fitting or not fitting, but um, yeah, there's that. Cool. Should we talk about, um, I know that while we were in, I almost said quarantine, but really was power outage. Um, <laughs> it all blurs together. It all blurs in together. I watched the Cecil Hotel special on Netflix. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so did I. I'm not going to say I loved it. I hated it. But I did like it. Yeah, we felt very differently about yes. it. Yes. Oh, and, and so did people on the And we did a poll. Band. I forgot about that. Right. We did a poll. So hold on, let me double check what it was because I was actually like, I was very surprised. The results, uh, 61% said it was so good, and 39% said it was a yawn. Hmm. I, 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 I did like it. I did have parts where I, it was easily, I was easily distracted by something else that I was doing. The parts that I did like were where they were exploring other theories, and but at the same time, they didn't go deep into those theories. I did, if you haven't seen it already, definitely recommend to go see it. I think it's a three-part, four-part, something like that. Uh, I think it's a four-part, yeah. They have the manager of the hotel that was there at the time when Elisa Lamb went missing. And her role in all this, we could have done without in the documentary. I thought, and I told you this, I could have done without her, and I could have done without the... The guy, um, like the web sleuth guy or whatever. Morbid? Or no? No, I could have done without him too. But I also, like the web sleuth guy that like, what did he do? I mean, he was like kind of oh, like the skinny, oh, 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 like. Oh, the one that's like. Buggy eyed guy. The <laughs> one that was like, I saw the video on the police thing and then I put it out. And, and how heartbroken they were when she, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I felt like he, like he, you could have kept his part to, like, one statement. But, like, they That's kept bringing true. him back for his opinion on things, and I just didn't it's, And it wasn't an expert opinion. I will say, though, that without all these theories, though, this case wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. With, without all the theories and how they developed and they got, you know, worldwide attention on these possible theories, um, it, it the case wouldn't be as infamous as it is now. I would have liked personally because what intrigues me the most, and it's not that I believe it, but I just want to know more about it, is like the elevator game. Mm -hmm. I want to know more about that. They just skimmed right by it. They just said that's one of the theories. By what theory I really did like was the one with the movie, that how similar that was. That was eerie to me. Yeah. The I... red coat, the water being brown, because that is disgusting. I know about the elevator game, and I still don't think that explains how she ended up in the water tower. I really, I don't like how they put it together, but I like the information, you know, for the most part, what was in it, but I don't like how they put it together. I was so bored. <laughs> they, um, they, they didn't explore how she got into the water tank. And for the longest time, I swear for an entire episode, they're like, well, when they got there, the tank was closed. The tank was closed. I was like, hold on. The janitor literally said he opened it up and he looked down there and then he closed it. And it wasn't until the next episode, as if it was some mystery, yeah. that they explored the janitor's statement that he had closed it after he had seen her in there. So I'm like, you guys, that's not 
We're not organizing this well. Right. That's not how you tell a story. So, but I mean, maybe someday we'll cover Elisa Lamb. I know that we talked about maybe going down to the Cecil Hotel. Besides, Besides that case there, and that's something else that I like, they did explore the, the, paths that have crossed with other people in infamous cases so yeah. you know we have richard ramirez that stayed I there i feel like the cecil hotel needs to be a separate story from the elisa lamb case yes like there's a lot that happened there's at that hotel lot. that really deserves its own moment and maybe if travel restrictions lift up a little bit maybe we'll be there someday yeah but until then california we ain't coming because you don't want us we'll just google maps you i did not know this i will tell you this because i had you know i've listened on podcasts about this i did not know that there had they had rebranded a whole two levels of it and that's technically what elisa was staying at and not the cecil quote-unquote, the Cecil Hotel. It's been bought and, like, remodeled and rebranded so many times that it's, like, really hard to even know what it is now. Okay. If you haven't seen that, go see it. Or don't. (laughs) It's boring, honestly. (laughs) So, also, by now, uh, you guys may have noticed we have a rebrand. Yay! (laughs) We're super excited about it. So shout out to Fatina's brother-in-law and my good friend Jake. Um, He did our artwork. So we will be rebranding across all of our platforms. So if you see our image change, that is why. Um, So you'll see all of that coming out. And then also we will, hopefully by the time you guys hear this, have launched our Patreon. Woohoo! So, um, I'm still working out the details, so I don't even know what to call it yet, but... We're working on a lot of stuff. We're excited. Yeah. So, um, but assuming the Patreon is live, which I think it will be by the time you guys hear this, the link will be in our Instagram bio, so you guys can go there and you can... Join, sign up and support your girls. Hey, because we would love it so much. Yeah, and um, yeah, we're working on some really cool things this year. So mostly Fatina because she's a lot more creative than I am. <laughs> it's my crime craft time. Yeah. So on the logo, just a little bit on it, we wanted something that was bold, that you could see it, that something that was easy to put on merch, so you guys can, you know, wear it, support us, and. You know, we, we love that you guys are already excited about some merch that we gave you a little tease on on the pictures. So we're just excited and hopefully it's something that you guys like and will support us with on the launch. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. All right. So we're going to get started with Scott Peterson and the case of Lacey and Connor Peterson. A little bit of background is always on Scott Peterson, and we're not gonna go in as much detail as we had written down, just because it, for time's sake, there's too much information. All right, so I'm gonna start with a little bit of background on Scott's mom, that's Jackie Latham. She had a rough life growing up, She eventually met Lee Peterson. At that point, she'd given up two kids for adoption. Lee Peterson was a divorced father of three, and he, although came from humble beginnings, was becoming a successful businessman. When him and Jackie got married, he adopted Jackie's oldest son, John, 
and on October 24th, 1972, Scott Peterson was born. One thing that you'll hear over and over, uh, almost anywhere that this case is covered, is that they bragged about him being a golden boy, and his mom is quoted saying that it took him to learn how to walk because he was always being carried. In 1974, they moved to La Jolla. His dad there taught him to fish, to hunt, always took him to work with him. And one of the things that he really enjoyed teaching him was golfing. He joined the golf team in high school, did really well there. He went off to play one semester of golf at ASU. We don't know exactly the reason why he left, but he did. And from ASU, and I'm sorry, that's Arizona State University. So from there, he moved to Cal Polytechnic, where he studied agricultural business. He did pay for his own tuition, and he worked at a cafe while he was going there. This is where he met Lacey. The story goes, Lacey came in. She made the first move on him by writing down her phone number, giving it to one of the girls at the cafe, asking her to give it to him. And she waited at home. He didn't call. So she came back about a week later and said, why didn't you call? He said he thought it was a joke. So then they actually went on their first date. They went on their first date deep sea fishing. And Lacey called her mom and said that she'd met the man she was going to marry. Yes. So then about a week later after that, Lacey's mom came up to school and they were going to go to the cafe to meet Scott or she was going to meet Scott, and Scott knew this, so he set up a table at the cafe with a dozen roses for Lacey and a dozen roses for Lacey's mom. Now, Lacey was going to the same school. She was studying ornamental horticulture, and she was, you know, it sounds weird to say, but she was your make-the-room-light-up-when-she-walks-in type of girl, you know what I mean? So, Um, She was a big fan of movies. She grew up on a dairy farm. Her and her brother were really close. She was a cheerleader, natural-born housewife. That's what she liked to call herself, and that's fine for some women. (laughs) That is fine for some. So they had their first date, deep-sea fishing. They dated for two years. This was two years before Lacey graduated. After... Lacey had graduated. He was still finishing up school, so he stayed down there at Cal Polytechnic. And his dad had given him some of the shares of the company that his dad had. Scott eventually sold those shares, unbeknownst to his dad. And with the funds from that, him and Lacey started a restaurant called The Shack in the Cal Polytechnic campus. This was at a strip mall. It was the college hangout. She was the hostess, and he did all the managerial stuff. In 2000, they sold the restaurant and moved to Modesto. They were getting ready to settle down, start a family. They were getting ready to try and have children. He traveled a lot because of work. He worked for a company that sold fertilizer, and he had business partners on the southwest, western region of the country. So he traveled a lot. And he was home only a couple nights a week. I think we're up to speed up to 2002. Okay. Right? They were trying to have everything was happy-go-lucky, American dream, and, you know, the type of couple you envy. They loved each other. Some people say that, you know, they look like they were always on their honeymoon type of love. So that's where we're at. 
in 2002 is when we'll start digging into actually what happened. Okay. So just to preface, (laughs) the following events are according to Scott. There is some verified information as far as what happened the day before and the day that she went missing. For the most part, this is Scott's account of the day. So take it for what you will. And this is for December 24th. Correct. Yep. All right. So December 24th of 2002, Lacey is seven months pregnant at this time. So they have tried for years to have a child and then they end up pregnant and they're having a boy. So she's seven months pregnant and it's Christmas Eve. And according to Scott, they wake up in the morning. Lacey wakes up about an hour before he does. She has breakfast and then he wakes up and joins her. They finalize plans for Christmas Eve at Lacey's parents' house supposedly during this time watching Martha Stewart. And at this point, Scott packs up his truck, indicates that he is going to go golfing, but changes his plan and decides to go fishing without alerting anybody of this change in plans. Scott is driving to his warehouse first. At 10.08, he checks his voicemail and gets a message from his boss, checks his email. So there is receipt that he is using the computer at his warehouse. History shows that he is on his computer from 10.30 to 10.56 a.m. He sends an email to his boss. He looks up instructions assembling like a an, on a woodworking tool that he'd received. So he looked up instructions on how to assemble this tool. And then about 20 minutes is unaccounted for. He leaves the shop and he goes to the marina and he gets a parking pass at 1254 to launch his boat. He says that he is out fishing from about 1255 to 211 approximately. Several witnesses indicate that they see him back up, load his boat up and launch it. When he gets done fishing, he calls Lacey and he leaves her a voicemail asking her to pick up the basket for... Papa. Mm -hmm. Obviously, one can assume that this is a Christmas gift. This was something that he had discussed with his sister-in-law the night before and agreed that they were going to pick up this basket prior to going over to Lacey's parents' house. So then he drives home. He stops for gas. He tries to call Lacey again and then arrives back at the warehouse at 4.13 p.m. He then leaves the warehouse and gets home between 4.30 and 4.45 p.m. Lacey's car is in the driveway, but she's not home. And he enters the house and states that he assumes that she is with her mom and that her mom might have come to pick her up because it's Christmas Eve. They have things to do, yada, yada. He notes that the door is unlocked and the dog is in the backyard still wearing her leash. Her name is Mackenzie. Holla. (laughs) And it's even spelled spelled the same, right? Uh, So he takes the leash off the dog. He walks in the house and notes that there is a dirty bucket of water that Lacey had used to supposedly mop the floors that morning. So he dumps out that bucket. Um, He takes off the clothes that he wore that day and he puts them in the washing machine. He takes the clothes that were in the washing machine out and sticks them on top of the washing machine and does not put them in the dryer. All the women are like, yeah, of course. (laughs) He pours himself a glass of milk. He gets a slice of old, like yesterday's pizza out, which I'm like milk and pizza. Ew. Ew. Ew, David. Um, (laughs) I will never stop. (laughs) 
I just think that's such a gross combination. I have judgments based on that alone. That's what you're judging him on? Yeah, I'm like, you must be guilty because you ate pizza with milk. You fucking animal. That's disgusting. <laughs> Cannot be trusted. He then goes upstairs to take a shower. When he gets done taking a shower, he checks the answering machine and realizes that his message is on the answering machine as well as one from Lacey's stepdad asking them to bring over whipped cream for the pies because they don't have enough. So at this point, Scott says this is when he realizes something is wrong, that Lacey's not with her parents like he'd originally assumed. So he calls Lacey's family at 5.17 p.m. to find out if she is with them. And her mom says no. So at that point, Scott says that he grabs the dog, walks around the neighborhood to see if he can find her, supposedly checks in with the neighbors or whatever that she may or may not frequent. The family also at this point goes out Looking for her, the mom heads to the dog park and asks Scott to meet her there. So Scott shows up to the dog park much later, um, but he says that he's out canvassing the neighborhood during this time. It's actually Lacey's stepdad that calls the police. He calls the police at 5.47 p.m. and says Lacey has been missing since that morning. He reports to the police that she took the dog out for a walk. The dog came home with just the leash on, but Lacey isn't with the dog. So what we find out is that a neighbor had actually found the dog Mackenzie out walking on their leash and put the dog in the backyard. And the neighbor tells us to police later. At 6.50 p.m., the police arrive. Um, Scott lets them into the house without a warrant, and the police find nothing disturbed, but they're just doing an initial check to see, like, is she there? And maybe nobody has seen her or something like that. They check all the rooms, everything like that. The detectives note that Scott is acting kind of weird, um, he's very careful about where they park and him moving his truck so they don't like scratch his truck when they open the door. Um, he put, makes them put coasters under their drinks and everything like that. He just seems concerned with the wrong things, according right. to the detectives. And then at midnight, approximately, Scott goes down to the police station to give an interview about the day's events and accounts what happened during that time. Yes. During this interview, Scott is asked if he has problems in their marriage, and Scott says no. So then this takes us to Christmas Day. Right, so he says that he would take a polygraph, decides not to take a polygraph. On December 26th, the media gets a hold of the case. They go nuts, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then on December 26th, the police come to Scott. They request a formal search. Scott says, yeah, sure, but hang on, let me check with my lawyer. And then before the lawyer can call back and give the yes or no, police say, ha, 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 just remember, we have a search warrant and we're just gonna, just gonna slide on in there. So they execute their search warrant on December 26th. So December 30th, Amber Fry calls to the tip line and she's like, got some interesting news for you. Um, I've been having an affair with this guy that has been all over the news. The media does portray this that this portrays this as a long affair that they were like in love and blah, blah, mm. blah. But they had actually only been dating for about five weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. When Lacey goes missing, that is. So they've been dating about five weeks. So this whole new information blows out. So that garners the case even more information because now it's being sensation sensationalized it's something that people want to know more about now there's a mistress involved mm -hmm. so there's that speculation that's building on the husband obviously the the spouse or the husband's always going to be the first person of interest but now you throw an affair into it and mm -hmm. as far as the media goes that is case closed type of thing right so that happens december 30th 
Yes, but the police sit on this because they don't want anybody to right. know. But on January 14th, the National Enquirer gets a hold of the story because mm-hmm. they get photos of Scott and Amber at a Christmas party. And they say that they're going to release it. And they ask the police for a statement. And the police are like, can't sit on this anymore. Got to let the family know. So at this point, they go to Lacey's family and tell them about the affair. Do you know how they got those pictures? <sighs> there were Christmas cards that she had sent out. Dang, she sent out Christmas cards of some guy she'd only been dating she, a couple weeks. They, they were... That's a little... Like, they had fallen hard. She had fallen hard. Yeah. Because he was telling her all that she wanted to hear, like, long-term stuff. And so she sent out Christmas cards for 2002. And although she grabbed what she could from local friends and family, there was, like, three or four that she couldn't get back. And those people, I bet, had a payday. So oh, it's to the sure. Inquirer. On January 24th, the police yes. held a press conference with Amber, and she that's where she clarifies the timeline. We mm-hmm. met on November 20th. She didn't know Scott was married at the time. He also agrees to do interviews, and he does an interview with Diane Sawyer that becomes very controversial down the line. February comes and goes. Uh, Lacey's due date passes, and then that's where we come to April mm-hmm. with the bodies being discovered. So, um, on April 13th, Connor, the unborn baby, is found. Um, And then on April 14th, the body of a woman is found about a mile away. Um, They washed up on the San Francisco Bay, and it's determined that that torso is Lacey. Um, Lacey, at this point, like I said, is just a torso. Her arms, her legs, and her head are all missing. Okay, so Connor has been disemboweled. He has electric tape on his ear, and then he has... Whether you want to call it, like, some type of plastic, some type of, like, uh, plastic twine, rope, yeah, rope plastic something twine. like that around his neck. On April 18th, Scott is arrested in San Diego. In his car, he has camping gear, four cell phones, his brother's ID, $15,000 in cash, hiking boots, a shovel, 12 Viagras, and, you know party at the campsite um and then a picture of him and Lacey um it's noted at this point that his hair has been dyed blonde so that takes us up to the trial just like high level overview yeah so where do we get started That's it. Thanks for listening. See you next week. And Scott is convicted. (laughs) The end. All right. So. Okay. So now that we have very high level overview, like Wikipedia type summary of what happened in the case. The spark notes, if you will. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. We're going to go back and unfold some stuff talk about some things that happened talk about some of the circumstantial evidence and some things that didn't even make it to court all right so we're going to start with december 23rd the day before lacy went uh went missing so on december 23rd in the morning lacy and scott had recently hired a housemaid to come and do some of the house chores she was supposed to come every once every two weeks And this is just because Lacey was late into her pregnancy and she needed some help around the house, just reaching some stuff that she couldn't normally do um, right now when she was heavily pregnant. So the housemaid came over in the morning. Also for 
the feminists out there who are thinking, why the fuck does Scott not help her clean? Oh. I thought the same thing. <laughs> she came over and she confirms, and there's no doubt about this, she saw Lacey in person, alive and well. She just noticed that, you know, Lacey was a little slower moving, a little tired looking. And this was, this was something that was noted by a lot of people that are close to her. She was just, she was having, she was struggling with, you know, moving around a lot while she was pregnant. Okay, so while the housemaid is there, she does note that Lacey went to do a grocery run, came back, put the groceries back in. She helped her bring in the groceries. And then she left at around 2, 2.30. And from there, Lacey and Scott went to a doctor's appointment, the last known doctor's appointment that Lacey had. They had a sonogram. Baby was healthy, baby Connor. Um, at this point in December, they had already had the baby room put together. It was set in a nautical theme. It was painted blue. They had a little life ring that said, welcome aboard, super cute room. So they went from the doctor's appointment to a salon of Lacey's sister called Salon Salon. And Scott got his hair cut by his sister-in-law that day. They were talking about, you know, Christmas Eve dinner the next day at Lacey's parents' house. And one of the things that they talked about was going to a nearby business to pick up a gift basket for their grandfather, who they called Papa, the next day. And so they called in, they put in the order, they let him know that it'd be ready the next day, and Scott volunteered to go pick it up. They knew that they had to be there before four o'clock to pick it up the next day because they had shorter hours because it was Christmas Eve. Oh, Scott had volunteered to pick up the gift basket from Velo Farms for their grandpa because he'd even mentioned that he was going to be on that same side of town on the 24th because he was going to go golfing and his, his country club was out that way. So also while they were there, Lacey's sister was teaching Lacey how to do a flip out on the ends of her hair. Just super cute moment, but it does kind of come into play. That's so early 2000s oh, too. so 2000s. After that, they invited Lacey's sister over to come watch some football because it was Monday night. They were going to watch Monday night football, grab some pizza on the way home. She had already had plans with a friend that was coming into town for Christmas time. So she was going to go have dinner with that friend and she declined. So from the salon... Lacey and Scott picked up some pizza on their way home. Before Lacey went to bed on the 23rd, she did have a conversation with her mom on the phone at about 8.30, and they talked about the same thing, what they were, their plans were for Christmas Eve's dinner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're all good on that. And from this point, that is the last person other than Scott to have seen Lacey alive that we know of. And they watched Monday Night Football, according to Scott. And they watched The Rookie, or a different type of movie that night. Lacey's sister was interviewed, and then she also showed cameras to the detectives, showing what was Lacey wearing on the day of the 23rd. So from what she remembers Lacey wearing, it was a black blouse, primarily black blouse, that had a very small 
but very even pattern all over it with small flowers and tan maternity pants. This is important and it'll come around later because what she's wearing um, from the 23rd to when she is found obviously is different than what Scott is saying she's wearing on the 24th. So we ended with December 23rd. So we ended with December 23rd. We covered the case at, like you said, super overview. The highest level overview. Yeah. The elevator pitch of this case. <laughs> so I think this is going to be a spot where we're going to end it right now. Mm -hmm. And just so you can digest what we know so far, yeah. we're going to come back and talk about theories, talk about the evidence, yeah. the circumstances, all that information. So don't start yelling at us yet and saying, you forgot this and you forgot that and you forgot yeah. that. We, haven't, we, we know. Really, we, we really forgot haven't everything. anything yet. Yeah. So that's just the case. These are the things that we can either agree on or are... Or they come from different sources because that's some of the issues or, sometimes. Yeah. And like, obviously, we can't necessarily agree on Scott's account, but Scott's account is Scott's account. So right. like... What he's saying happened... Yeah. Is that's what, his story that's, and he's sticking to that's it. That's his story. So we're yeah. not getting into like the super, we're not going to start debating it right now. We'll do that next episode. But what we're doing right now are the things that you can't necessarily either dispute as fact or dispute as the direct representation right. of They're other people. They're not hearsay. They're, we, that's, well, <laughs> his account might be hearsay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but this is why we got to take a quick break and come back, collect our thoughts you know, these might go out back to back, but we want to make sure that we do everything justice, that it's not all jumbled up and it makes some kind of sense. So yeah. we're going to take a break. Thank you for listening thus far. Yeah. And we will come back and go into the actual details next time. Next time. All right. Okay. So you can go over to our Instagram and tell us what you think thus far. Uh, that is at a stranger danger podcast. You can email us a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook stranger danger colon a true crime podcast you can join the group stranger danger colon murder lovers you can find us on twitter using sd true crime pod thank you so much you guys okay bye, -bye. Bye.